please uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, as you're turning there, yeah, uh, yeah, the, the songs today are very, very fitting, um, very Christmassy. Uh, talks a lot about, you know, um, who Jesus is, um, you know, how he came, what it looked like when he came, and um, you know, what he's here to do. So that's also what we're going to be talking about today in um, these passages. So today we're going to really cover a lot of text, a lot of text. Um, almost, it's about like two chapters worth that I'm going to read through because the story really is, um, Paul's journey is really reaching its, you know, the final stage. And that's where we're going to set up today. So Paul, he's, uh, he's on, you know, the journey to Jerusalem, right? And basically in Jerusalem and uh, going forward, it's going to go into the final stage of his life uh, that, that we know of. Um, so in Acts uh, chapter 21, I'm going to start reading. So after we have torn ourselves away from them. So these are, you know, the, the people of Ephesus, right? These are the elders um, that he's met with. And he's really sad. They're really sad that he's leaving because he says that he'll never see them again. Uh, and they'll never see him again. And they're really sad, and, and Paul, he write, uh, Luke writes that after we torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and then from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. Right after sighting Cyprus and passing through the south of it, we sailed to, on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when it was time, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Potimaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. I leave the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. So this is uh, one of the seven, meaning one of the seven um, uh, helpers who helped with, uh, yeah, who were really important uh, helpers in the church. Uh, when we had, uh, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After he, uh, we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, uh, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So this is happening the second time. Uh, but then Paul answered, why are, we, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When, we, when, he heard, when, we, uh, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Now, after this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nassan, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. 
Right? When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. And Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done through them and among the Gentiles. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law? They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So uh, do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join them in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself among them. And then he uh, went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So, so far, yeah, a lot is going on. So, along the way, uh, Paul and his companions, as they're traveling towards Jerusalem, they're meeting up with these disciples, right? these pockets of disciples all over. And what we find out is that through the original 120 disciples, right, in Acts 2, when they're all gathered in that large room, when the Holy Spirit came down, these 120 disciples, they, they continue to share the gospel message to, to places that are, are far away where you actually need to take a ship, right? Take a ship for many weeks to reach. So you see, the gospel has, has spread afar since Jesus left, since Jesus gave them the Great Commission. And this gospel is ultimately to, to believe and follow Jesus Christ by obeying his teachings in the Bible, and ultimately it, it summarizes to love God, to love your neighbor. And in all these places he visited, Paul uh, impacted these people through his life. As we see here is that the church was not meant to idly sit by. It was supposed to be a force to be reckoned with. These disciples, they have been given the Holy Spirit and they've been commanded by Jesus to go, right? To go and share, to make disciples. And this is us, right? This is the church. This is, should be every single pocket of disciples. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And Paul, he meets people that he's impacted in his life. And when they hear that he's going to be persecuted, he's going to suffer, he's going to, to possibly never come back, they're really sad. They're, they're, they're grieving. They don't want him to go. This is the kind of impact that he's had on people's lives. And I think that under any other circumstance, like, they will be right. They'd be like, don't go. You know, like, why would you go and, you know, like, like, throw your life away? Like, you could, you know, you could, like, live longer and then, like, share the gospel with more people, right? You could do that. Like, why are you doing this, right? It would make sense. But from the very beginning, Paul, uh, God had a special and specific plan for Paul. Okay, this is for Paul. Okay, not for every single one of us, but it was a very specific one. And we read that in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, where Paul, he's, um, he's on the road to Damascus, right? Uh, he still, his name is still, you know, like they, he still refers to himself as Saul at this time. 
uh, by his, his, uh, his Gentile name. So he's traveling to Damascus, and basically his plan there is to capture and to imprison Christians. That's his goal. He's zealous you know, for uh, the, uh, the Jewish uh, law, for, uh, for their culture, and he's like, I'm going to go there, and these Christians, they're part of this cult, and like, they're, they're talking about this Jesus, and um, you know, that's not right, so I'm going to go there, and I'm going to capture these, these Christians and put them in prison. But we find out that that's not what happened, though, right? Because God met him on that path. God met him in his darkness. God reached out and changed his life. And God set Paul on a new path. And in verse 15 of chapter 9, it talks about um, God telling him that he's going to take the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles, to kings, which we'll read later in, on in Acts, in the last portion of Acts, he'll go talk to kings, and he's going to take the gospel also to the Israelites. See, this very same person had a gospel encounter with Jesus Christ. And when God enters our lives, we are never the same again. We are, we are a new creation. We are ambassadors. Our God rescued us from sin's judgment, from punishment, from hell. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, meaning... We believe in who He is and what He has done. Then God sees us as righteous. God's righteousness is ours. Jesus' righteousness is ours. So this is kind of what's going on here. And Paul, as he's traveling, uh, you know, he meets various people. And I'm just going to continue reading um, and follow along with me, con- uh, continuing on with verse 27. So this is kind of where uh, some of the, the trouble starts to come. All right, in verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. So, you know, this is, uh-oh, right? When we, when we hear that, when we read that, it's, it's uh-oh. But they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and, all, and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously see, uh, seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, into the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. When they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. When he, uh, then he at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowds shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Get rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? And Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. So, wow, right? Wow. 
Everything that, that is, has been said is, is coming true. It's coming true. Paul, he's reached Jerusalem and things aren't looking good. Things are not looking good. So after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and mentioned to the crowd. Well, then they were all silent and said to him in Aramaic, uh, then he said, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. So this word defense in Greek is apologia. So you might have uh, heard the word apologetics before. Apologetics. Uh, it's basically a defense. It's a defense. So like, uh, just imagine like, um, it, it, it's not, it's not um, a being really sorry for something or apologizing for something. But it's being able to give an answer, basically, for something that you believe in. And Paul now, he's giving his defense to these people of Jerusalem, these Jews. And he's telling them, basically, like, uh, he's defending himself and saying, like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And perhaps it's not right for them to arrest him. So he's giving his case right now. And let's listen to his defense. Because it's important that for us as Christians, we are able to give a reply when people ask us, right? Why do you believe in God? Why do you follow God? We need to be able to give a defense. We need to have an answer. We will say, you know, why do you believe God is good? Or oh, why do you think that Jesus is the only way? You know, like, aren't there other religions or other beliefs out there that are good too? Like, why Jesus is the only way? So every believer should be able to give a defense. Every believer has a story and has a unique story, which Paul, he's going to share his story. But underlying message of all our stories remains the same. So let's look at the top of uh, chapter 22 as Paul, he begins with his origin story, who he is. And this is kind of what we do when we share our testimony, our story with people. We kind of talk about who we are a bit. Give, you know, give the person a little background. Because if people don't know who we are, if we don't share that, then people don't really know what kind of impact Christ has had in our lives. So what is Paul's background? What is Paul's background? I'm going to read a uh, portion, and then I want you guys to kind of uh, tell, me the, tell me the answers if you can, if you can find it. So, um, in verse 2, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. So Aramaic is like the language of trade. It's the language of that day. It's very common. Then Paul said, in verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under uh, Gamaliel and, through, and was thoroughly uh, trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I, perse- I persecuted the followers of this way to their death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring those people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be, to be punished. So from this background, what are some things that you guys can pick out? Just shout it out. What, are the, what is uh, Paul's background? What's his origin story, so to speak? Right, he's a Jew, okay. What else? Oh, so this, is, this, is just, this is just simple reading comprehension. Like, I have confidence, 100% confidence you guys can get it. What's something else? So he's a Jew, what else? He's born in Tarsus. Yeah. 
How about, how about, from, how about from this side? How about from this side? What are some things about Paul? Yeah, 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 sure, yeah. yeah. I just don't want all the answers coming from this side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. 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 Yeah. What else? Come on, guys. We're not going to move on unless unless we can get this. I, I I believe you guys can do it. Who did he study under? Who did he study under? Who was his teacher, so to speak? Oh, you guys want to make me call on you guys? Yeah? Is this what, is this what it's going to come down to? Alright. Jonathan. Jonathan. Who, who was, uh, who was uh, Paul's uh, teacher? Joan, 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 why don't you help him out? You got it? Okay, alright. Okay, so, right, right. So he studied under that. Okay, him, alright. And then, um, any, anything else that you guys can pick out about his background? Alright, okay, that's good. So we got these four things. Four things, we got them all. So, Paul, he's a Jew. Alright, he's a Jew. And Paul, who is he speaking to right now? Who's his audience? Jews, right? So basically he's saying that I have the same background as you. And he's building a case for himself. I want you guys to see. When you talk to someone, you know, like, it's like, hey, maybe we're not so different. You know, like, hey, I, I, I get you. Like, we, you know, we come from the same place. Like, yeah, I grew up the same way. We have the same background. I kind of listen, listen to what I have to say. He's born in Tarsus, so, so, uh, but he was brought up in Jerusalem. Meaning that, you know, he, he was kind of from this area. He's not like from some like, you know, farm, farmland, like, you know, like countryside place. But, you know, he grew up in Jerusalem. Like, it's, you know, it's very well known, like the, the center and, and where they have the famous temples and stuff. He studied under uh, uh, one of the most famous people during that time. So this, this guy, uh, uh, Gamaliel... He was the, um, basically, he was the grandson of this famous rabbi. The grandson of this famous rabbi named Hillel. Back in those days, there were two prominent Jewish views of the law. Um, one under the, the rabbi Hillel, and also one under uh, the rabbi uh, named uh, Shammai. So there's two very different views. Shammai had a very strict view of the Jewish law. Very, very strict Whereas Hillel had a more lenient view. And, uh, and Gamaliel, he was uh, the grandson of this lenient view person. And he was very famous. He was a well-known teacher. And Paul, he studied under him. And in those days, as you'll see, uh, uh, the rabbi actually chose their students. The rabbis chose their students. Just like Jesus, 
He went and he said, follow me. He, went, he said, follow me. And it was very hard because think about it. This very, very famous rabbi, he's only going to choose like the smartest, right? The brightest, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. So it's like, you know, I don't know, like trying to, trying to get into an Ivy League school or some kind of like top school. It's, it's really hard. It's really hard. And Paul is saying that, hey, I made it. I got in. I studied. My education is good. I know the Old Testament. I know the history of our people. I know what God wants. I, like based on what I knew, like, I knew what God wanted. Basically, I, I knew God. This is who I am. And not only was it his, you know, he filled with knowledge of the scriptures and of God, but he was also zealous, meaning that he, he also had the actions to back up what he was learning. You see, it says that uh, when he saw followers of the way, or when he saw followers of the way, in verse 4, this followers of the way, we've heard that before. The followers of the way is basically believers, disciples. This way where Jesus is the only way. This, this life. He saw these people and he was like, I have to do something about that. I have to do something about that. So when I, when I see that, it kind of reminds me of, of um, people who fight for like uh, maybe social injustice. right? They, they, they fight maybe animal cruelty. Or maybe they, they, they want to fight to protect the environment or whatnot. Like, they don't, they don't just, like, say, like, oh, yeah, like, I, I put on a sticker or something like that. Like, I support this. Or, you know, they don't, maybe they don't, just, they don't only, like, change their profile, like, picture to, like, have, like, a different, like, you know, border or something like that. But they're, like, li- literally actually, like, out there, like, uh, like, physically out there doing something or, like, organizing something. You know, they're, like, they're really out there making that impact. And Paul, he was this kind of guy. He saw this, this group of people that said that they followed Jesus. They followed this, this Jesus who claimed to be the Son of God. Um, and they claimed that he, that he died and he rose from the dead. And, they, and they're claiming that, you know, that if they follow Jesus and obey his commandments, that's, that's the right way. That they don't necessarily have to obey all these Jewish customs now. And he's like, no, this is not right. This is not right. So he goes out there and he actually starts to uh, capture and beat up and imprison these Christians to stop that, that movement. He wants to squash that movement. And as he was getting ready to imprison more followers in Damascus, Jesus met him. Jesus came into his life. And, that, and you know what's really ironic is that, based on Paul's background, he's basically saying, you know, I saw things clearly. I saw things clearly. I knew God. But he was actually the blind one. On Damascus, when the light shone, a bright light shone, he was blinded. He couldn't see anymore. Right? He was a Jew studying under one of the best teachers. He was actively trying to obey God. But yet, with all his knowledge and all his background, it failed him. And he failed to see that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So how does Paul respond when he was confronted by Jesus? And how can people respond? How can we respond? How can people that we love out there who don't know Jesus yet, who don't follow Jesus, how can they respond? I want us to look at verse 16. 
So actually, I'm going to read down, and then I'm going to, I'm going to read it, uh, verse 16. So, at noon, when I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So this is kind of like that tipping point. This is like a lot of us, maybe we, maybe we do know that moment where we're like, I need Jesus. Maybe some of us, we don't know. Some of us just kind of grew up in the church, and kind of over time, we gradually like, you know, like accepted it like yeah this is this is right this is what i need but paul he had a very very uh like aha that moment and this is it all right i am jesus of nazareth whom you are persecuting he replied my companions saw the light but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me right what should i do i asked get up the lord said and go into damascus there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do my companions led me by my hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And verse 16 now, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So this is how people can respond. They call on the name of Jesus. This is how we can respond. And this really it means, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. Jesus, I call on you because you are my only hope. And when I read this part, it reminded me of that scene from Star Wars. Right, Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. I know you guys are familiar with that. So basically, you know, there's R2-D2, right? The, uh, and um, he, he has this recorded message. Uh, and, it went, and then uh, basically, like, uh, it's this message from a woman who's crying out for help. And in this recorded message, it says, Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. And in, in the context of that movie, this woman, basically her, her faction, they are completely overwhelmed by the enemy. They have, like, their, their resources are low. They don't have the manpower. Like, the enemy, they are, like, super high-tech, and, and, like, they can literally, like, explode planets and stuff like that. And, like, how are they going to fight back? And yet this woman says, You, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. You can save me. You can help this situation. And for us, because we are dead in our sins, we can't shake it off. We can't remove our sins. No one in this world can. No matter how many good things we do. This is the truth. This is the reality. But... Jesus fixes all of that. Jesus, he solves that impossible scenario. Right, Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. And he did that when he took the sin of the world into himself on the cross and died for all people. All people. Now, I'm going to skip a little over now to um, chapter 23, verse 6. So basically, everything that goes down is like, you know, 
basically, Paul, he completes his, his defense, and then, like, they're like, oh, we don't like what you're hearing, like, get rid of this guy. So, it didn't really, like, help his outcome, per se, but not saying that it didn't make an impact on anyone. So, basically, like, they still want him dead, and basically, he he's, he's continues to, to speak, though. In, uh, in verse, yeah, chapter 23, verse 6. So Paul, he's talking to, uh, he's on another trial now, and he's kind of in front of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. So these are kind of like, he was a Pharisee, okay? He was a Pharisee. So Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Paul says that he's on trial now because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, anyone can die for anyone, right? Like, I, like parents, I, like, you see videos where, like, they literally, like, you know, like, maybe, like, grab the child out of, like, an, a, the, the way of an oncoming car or something like that. You know, they'll sacrifice their lives for the children. You know, friends will do that for each other, too, if it's a, you know, really good friend, right? But what makes Jesus different from those people, from, that, from those scenarios, is that Jesus died, but he also came back from the dead. And believers, we believe and celebrate a risen Savior. Or when we are baptized, meaning to be submerged in the water, we basically were dead to our sins and we're alive in Christ. We're risen to walk in newness of life. And that's really a beautiful symbol of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That Christ has, has finished his mission on this earth, and he's continuing it uh, uh, through us. And some of you might be wondering, like, can, can Jesus really save me, though? Can, or some of your friends might be wondering, like, can, can God really save me? Like, I've done a lot of bad things or something like that. But let's look at Paul's life before he met Christ, though. In verse 19 of chapter 23, verse 19... Uh, it says, yeah, it says this. Um, wait, that, I don't think that's the right part. Hold on. Um, hold on, I think I lost, I lost my place here. Verse 19. So, oh wait, so, so, so basically Paul, okay, sorry, I found my place now. In verse 19 of chapter 22, chapter 22, we're jumping back now. So Paul, he basically says this. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another. So basically God's like, hey, I want you to go and tell the people about myself. And then he's like, I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and to beat those people who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, uh, Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who are killing him. So he has a special mission now. He's like, hey, go, be baptized, get up, go, be my, be my ambassador. And he's like, whoa, God, um, but like, do you really know my life, though? Do you really know my life? I was there, Paul, he's saying, I was there when Stephen was killed. Stephen, if you guys uh, remember, he, uh, he was one of like the helpers who distributed food for the for the widows, right? Um, he was uh, and he was uh, put on trial, and then he gave this the longest speech in the, uh, the chapter, the book of Acts, and then he was stoned. And you know who was there? Paul was there. 
And Paul is like, yeah, Stephen's a bad guy. Like, Stephen, you know, he's, he's a follower of the way, and, you know, we need to stop that. And then, uh, and he basically was like, he approved that. He approved the killing of, you know, someone that, who he would now call a brother. So, like, I don't know if any of us could, like, we have that kind of weight or burden on our lives. Like, saying, like, hey, I approve the killing of a person, you know, and then, like, oh, but I was wrong or something. Like, I'm not sure if any of us could say that. But other things, maybe we could, right? So Paul, he's saying, man, God, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. Like can, it, it, like, can I really be your servant? Can I really live for you? Can you really save and forgive me? Can you really clear this weight on my conscience? And the answer is yes. Yes. He can. And the reality is that there are, there are so many blind people in, in our Silicon Valley. So many blind people all over the world today. So many people walking blind, they, they're like, I know what I need in life. I know how I should live it. And I'm going for that. And ultimately, they're going towards destruction without Jesus Christ. Or maybe some people are like, I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what I want in life. I don't know what, like, everyone's telling me different things and, like, I, nothing's making sense, or like, I don't know how am I supposed to choose like, the right answer out of all this, uh, all this confusion. And the reality is that people are getting wrecked all over. People are getting wrecked. People are suffering, they're hurting, and they're really asking why. Like, what, like what, what, what does life require of me? Or like, it's things aren't going right. What, ultimately, what do I need? And the answer is, it sounds cliche, but it really is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And I want to read um, just a, a little passage from this book. It's called My Heart Cries Out um, by Paul David Tripp. He's like one of my favorite um, Christian authors. Uh, he, he writes some like really uh, like touching stuff, things that really hit the heart. And basically he wrote this a book called My, the, My Heart Cries Out. He writes this, um, it's basically like poetry. And he writes it in his suffering. He writes it in his joy, the good times, bad times, in whatever circumstance, whatever he's feeling in his life, he writes it. And this, um, this part, this section is called hope. Because this is really what we Christians have. We have hope. We have this message of hope. And I want to read this. It says, The only hope, the only help, the only rescue, the only healing, the only solace, the only balm, the only redemption, the only restoration, for a broken, dysfunctional, sin-scarred, evil-infected, morally fallen, dark and dangerous world isn't found in information, socialization, education, political so- uh, solution, psychological insight, or personal reformation, but in the willing birth, righteousness, humiliation, sacrifice, suffering, and resurrection of a God-man-redeemer. No idea can liberate no power can save, no institution can redeem, restore, resuscitate, or recreate what sin has destroyed. So the Son had to come. The Son of God, the Son of Man. The Creator came to recreate. The Savior came to be the sacrifice. The Blessed One came to suffer and in suffering to bless the world with hope, help, rescue, healing, solace, balm, 
redemption, and restoration. The cost of it all was his life. It was his birth mission, his resurrection victory. History marched toward his coming. There was no other way. And he writes here in, verse, in Romans 15, verse 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And ultimately, in this, in this Christmas season, that's what it's, it's really about. It's not a, about like the lights that we see, the Christmas trees, you know, the, the, the presents that we can send, the, uh, the good family gatherings. You know, those are all good things. You know, like we have a tree back there. It's beautiful. If you haven't taken a photo, you can take a photo with it after service or something. Um, but yeah, like it's really not about all those things. It really is about a story of hope about this, this baby who was born, lived a perfect life, and then died for our sins, but didn't stay dead, resurrected, proving that he really was the Messiah, and that anyone who believes in him and chooses to follow him, follow his teachings, will have hope. Will have hope. And I think that you know, this season is, is really an appropriate time. Not saying that there's no appropriate times, but there's a, this is a really appropriate time to share this message with people around you. With your friends and family. I know it's like, oh, like, yeah, I don't know. But I want you guys to think about that. I want to challenge you to at least share it with one person. Share it with one person, a friend or family or someone in your circle, uh, this story of hope. And I'll give you guys some, some examples. So let's say, like, you know, uh, you guys are listening to Christmas music together or something like that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different Christmas musics. But, like, let's say it's one of those, like, that talk about who Jesus Christ is. You could be like, hey, um, you know, Silent Night or Joy to the World or something like that. You'd be like, hey, do you really know uh, what this song is about? You know, like, do you, do, you, do you know that? Like, do you know why the night was silent? Or I don't know, do you, do you know why uh, joy, you know, like, why the world can be joyful? Like, what do you, uh, and um, what about this? Like, why, uh, why do you think, you know, like, uh, this baby is so special? You think about this baby boy, you know, like, who, you know, who didn't cry, was in a manger, and blah, blah, blah. Like, do you really, like, what do you know about this child? Because we sing about that. Isn't that weird to sing about, like, someone, like, you don't really know or something? Or maybe, maybe you guys are, like, hanging out, or you go somewhere to, like, a shopping mall or, like, somewhere, and you guys see, like, a nativity scene. You see the people gathered around, you know, and like you see, usually you see shepherds and wise men and Mary, Joseph, and the baby, right? Uh, that scene is actually incorrect, but because you know the wise men came like a lot, a lot later. But uh, like you see the nativity scene, you can ask them like, hey, like what are your thoughts on that nativity scene? Like, is it is it does it look weird? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you know why all these people came to see this baby? Ask them what they think. You can ask them, hey, you know, this baby was actually royalty. This baby was actually royalty. Coming from, you know, the line of David. But, like, this baby was born in a really, like, dirty place. Not in a palace. Born in a very poor family. Like, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Like, what do you think? Ask your friends that. And even more after that, you can then ask them, hey, can I share with you this story of hope? Can I share, you, can I share with you this story 
um, that, 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 that I believe in is really important to me. May I share that with you? You can share your testimony after that. If you ask them, hey, would you like to hear my story about how this story about this baby changed my life? And after that, you can ask them, hey, would you, would you believe this story? Would you want to place your hope in this, in this story, in this baby? And I think that as Christians, um, we really have something amazing. We have an amazing story to share. It's, it's, we are, uh, it's, this, it's this gospel, this amazing gift that's really stored in jars of clay. Uh, we are so broken, but we are, we are so weak. But we have something amazing to share. And I want you guys to really realize that. So uh, I want to challenge you to share with at least one person. Try. Share it at least with one person, you know, before the end of this year. Try that. See how it goes. Share that experience with other people. Ask people to pray for you. And I want, I want to pray for you right now, too. Ask people to pray for you. Hey, maybe I want to share with my aunt or maybe my cousin or maybe a friend from work or a friend that, you know, back in, you know, in hometown or something like that. Like, share, hey, can I share this with you? It's really important to me. So let me pray for you as we, as we um, yeah, let me pray for you. Uh, Lord, as we come before you during this time where we are eternally grateful for this gift of hope that you have given us, that Jesus Christ is our only hope. That on that night in Bethlehem, you, the Savior of the world, was born. That, that you changed our lives, that you have the power, the capabilities to change our lives for your glory. Lord, I want you to, uh, and I pray that you would encourage each of us here that, that if this story is, um, is not our story yet, if this story is, is still, we're still not sure, or that you would do a work in our hearts, like that you would do a work in their hearts, Lord. That you would um, continue to reveal yourself through the scriptures and the story of love and redemption of hope in a broken, dark world. And Lord, that would we see that other people around us, that they need to hear this message. So where would you, uh, Lord, fill us with your boldness, that to give us your courage to, to talk about it with people, whatever that conversation may look like. Lord, would we be willing and, and just, um, would, would we be like clay in your hands? Would you just mold us and shape us and into your perfect plan? Um, Lord, ask that you would, uh, uh, throughout this week, um, as we continue to celebrate in this Advent season, as we continue to look forward uh, towards uh, um, your coming again, that we will be faithful witnesses everywhere we go, wherever we are, wherever we live, and whatever we're doing with whoever. Uh, with whoever. Or would we be willing? Would we be faithful? Thank you for your righteousness that before you we are already clean. No matter what we've done in our past, no matter how many sins we've committed, Lord, we are clean. And we can rest in that. That is peace. We have that, Lord. Thank you for, that we do not need to uh, carry those burdens anymore. Lord, we thank you so much. And out of this, this freedom that we have in you, this, we want to celebrate in joy. That we can be joyful during this time. Lord, and would, your, would your peace and grace go with us as we go forth today? And would we rest 
in this hope. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. And would you please